0: Ten years ago, uh, we were working with a high-rise developer who told us after the strategies implemented, where can we find uh, smart building technicians and operators? And we ended up having to provide services to kind of get around that, but it really showed me that this was really going to be an industry problem. And uh, recently, uh, I, along with one of our panelists, uh, participated in a Department of Energy National Workforce Development Roundtable. Uh, which shows how this has uh, become not only an industry-wide problem, but also a national issue, at least to the, uh, least to the U.S. government. So you really got to contemplate, do you hire, train, uh, plead with colleges for curriculum, uh, outsource, get consulting, uh, depend on your vendors, I mean, I could go on. But um, what I'm going to do is jump into our, our panel introductions, and I think they're going to help us answer a lot of those questions. So let's bring up uh, Phil and Julian if we can and uh, while they're coming in I'd like to say guys welcome and thanks for being here and if you could let's just tell us what your company does which I think would be a great uh, orientation here and then what you guys do there
1: yeah thanks Tom and thanks to the RealCom team for having us on this great show so smart buildings Academy is the largest vendor agnostic provider of skilled trades training for the smart buildings industry What we do is we help owners, engineers, contractors, and system integrators identify skill gaps within their teams and close that skill gaps through vendor agnostic training solutions. We've done this for over 13,000 students over the past five years. And I've got uh, Julian Palacios, who works with a lot of our larger clients on this as well.
0: Thanks uh, for that, and I will tell you, that is a shocking number uh, that you that you just gave, and I think for a lot of people that didn't even know this was going on in the industry. So can you give us a sense, uh, you know, who are your customers, first of all? Who, who, who hires you to do this?
2: So our customers come from all over the industry, even globally. Um, typically, we're working with companies that are installing contractors, the original equipment manufacturers. Uh, building owner-operator organizations, MEP engineers, and even uh, tech, co- tech company employees in our space.
0: Okay, and so that's the, the customers. Now, what, what, what is the profile or even the background maybe of a student?
2: So the students are gonna be um, really diverse backgrounds and experiences. Um, they're in the BAS space. They can range anywhere from one to 15 years experience. Um, or with certain programs that we offer, we're pulling in folks who are brand new to the industry and our customers trying to ramp them up quickly in either the contract inside or as a building operator or building engineer type of employee.
0: So real quickly, just to follow up on that, you said they want us to ramp them up quickly. What would they say to do what?
2: Um, so on the installing side, it's to um, install systems and execute service work. And for building engineers, building operators, it's to make a, a contribution and cover a shift, and and not have any issues um, responding to tenant occupant needs in that building or on that campus.
0: Okay, so so when they have a need, uh, as the whole industry does, uh, they they go through this, and when they graduate, so to speak, are they more like technicians or more like facility managers? What is what is the profile uh, skill set of the graduate?
2: Um. So the answer is kind of both and then some, right? Mm-hmm. Our training's modular. Um, it's designed to be uh, very much uh, customized uh, if needed for organizations. But we start with foundational knowledge everyone in the industry needs to know, regardless of role. And from there, we uh, can take students down multiple paths, develop their expertise in a specific role area. That could be a tech. That could be a building operator that could be a designer or a pm um, or a salesperson it really just depends on the organization and the needs
0: okay and so so when they come in they have a they usually have something they're trying to get from it that your customer does and they say i want you to help this person become that yes exactly whatever plant is and um when it comes you know i've been in this business 20 years so when people say smart buildings it's like what does that even mean right so i just want to clarify a little bit here Are we talking about control systems and just not to use jargon, like uh, HVAC, elevator lighting, metering, parking, barrier gates, daylight harvesting, these kind of things. Are we talking about building control systems? Is that where you focus your training?
1: Yeah, so smart buildings has become a very muddy term Mm -hmm. in our industry right now. I know you deal with that all the time in your business, Tom. And what we have found is that, yeah, of course, we cover all the technology that would be in a building We educate folks to understand systematically how do these devices work, when should they be deployed, and how should they be deployed. But really what sets us apart is what we found having 20,000 plus people go through our free online skill assessment is that the big gaps are around areas that aren't really product specific electrical knowledge, HVAC knowledge, IT knowledge, system knowledge, troubleshooting. And we give them processes and systems thinking which enables them to go work with those devices that you mentioned. And that's what makes a smart building smart is that you're utilizing your existing assets wisely and you're using the technology to support your daily processes.
0: Fantastic. because And that that sounds like you've got them in a framework that they can take on additional technologies and knowing how it would fit and how to use it and how to manage it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything we do is systemized and it is built on a kind of, you need to know these core tiers and pillars. And then once you have those pillars, we can then teach you the processes and actions because if you look at callbacks if you look at uh, any projects you've been involved that fall apart it's usually not the high-tech stuff that falls apart it's someone missing the common knowledge or the common way of communicating that knowledge to other stakeholders
0: yeah that no right we we all spend a lot more time being doctor Phil than 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 technology uh, you know education, but it's uh so but having said that, I mean, I'm going to use some cliches, but not so much in our space, like the Internet of things, uh, sensors, wearables, uh, you know obviously smartphones and apps that can can really interface with with other technologies. So you know how does that fit in where that's that's a that's a pretty intense topic of conversation, just sensors alone. It means, yeah. means many different things.
1: So you hear the term sensor density thrown around quite a bit, and you hear the term data velocity thrown around. Sensor density is the amount of sensors and devices that you have per square foot. Data velocity is the amount of data that is transmitted from these sensors to some system that can do something. It's really important for us to understand use cases and to understand how the different IoT devices impact those use cases. Energy, greenhouse gas sustainability reporting, cybersecurity, which I'm sure we'll talk about, all of these things require you to have data feedback in order to make proper decisions. Uh, So we definitely cover those. And what I encourage folks is not to get overwhelmed. Look at them as just another data point. If you're not overwhelmed by wall sensors, and you're not overwhelmed by pressure sensors, then you shouldn't be overwhelmed by IOT meters. Sure, they communicate differently, but at the end of the day, they're just another data point.
0: I got to tell you, I know a little bit about what you do and we know you guys, but really that clarification that you're creating a way of thinking and a framework is is one of the most important things I think we can, can convey to the audience. And um, kind of keeping on that technology changing theme, you know, obviously, you know, some of it's real, some of it's not, with this AI and machine learning and these kind of things. But but nevertheless, we are getting more automation capable. And is that yeah, making yeah. the need for this training more intense, or actually is that gonna decrease the need for training as we get more AI and ML?
1: So anyone who's done an analytics project has experienced the overwhelm when the data actually starts to pull in from the analytics. And that's just one form of AI and machine learning, right? At the end of the day, you still need the core skills. You need them even more to be able to address the results. So you may get a report that you've got a bunch of conveyance systems that are being inefficient. Your uh, time between floors is decreasing, which could indicate you need to do some preventative maintenance on your elevator system. But if you don't understand how an elevator system works, if you don't understand maybe how an HVAC system works, you can't interpret those results and actually take action. And so it's even more critical as we start to bring more information that we have the core skills to address what that information is pointing out to us.
0: Good. One quick question, then we're going to take a brief break and then come back on the other side. But And I know this is a long answer, but it's a whole topic of its own. Is the cybersecurity risks of people that aren't great at operating these systems more intense now? And, and that's something also that you're helping solve for, just that awareness of what's going on with data and connections and remote access and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, so I have a background in cyber and pen tests and things of that nature. And I will say what I've learned, having worked with a lot of facilities and looking at our student base, is they need to understand the systems, they need to understand IT, they need to understand basic certificating, they need to understand you know hardware and software from a cyber perspective. But at the end of the day, I still say that it's the customers, IT staff, or the OEM who is giving the recommendations that should be the leader yeah. in that. And yeah. then the operators should be simply using their systems wisely within the frameworks they're presented. Yeah.
0: It, but that it's back to that contextual awareness. And, and if we just give us a second, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to go from the technology and the students' conversation and move into kind of the owner-operator-investor uh, question. So uh, with that, we'll take a quick uh, break from a sponsor and be right back. OK, we're back. And thanks to our sponsor for that. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about, uh, you mentioned use cases, but really use cases have a lot to do with stakeholders, you know, tenants, facility manager, property manager. Uh, how do you address that in, in, in your training, or do you, uh, meaning the different stakeholders they may interface with in the field?
2: Yeah, so the way we address that in the training, there's always a ton of examples, right? It's not you know, our instructors standing there just yammering on about a particular subject matter. There are real world examples, use cases, stories that we bring into the training. And when we have students who are in the facility space, we know they're the first ones to get the phone call. They're the first one that has to respond to an occupant issue in that building, in that campus, they're seen as experts and our goal is to help make them experts um, improve uh, the facility team in general elevate the level of the facility team so that we can elevate the level of the building right as you guys have been touching on you can't have a smart building without a smart facility team running the place right and willing and able to take on that technology
0: so obviously a significant stakeholder would be the operator or the property manager. So is that, is that the first place where you're trying to orient a trainee to is it besides operating the system, you're really going to be, uh, maybe not reporting to, but really trying to support the property manager who wants to create experience and efficiency and all of these kind of things. Is that, is that an orientation in the stakeholders conversation?
2: Uh, yeah, we really do focus, um, when we get into the, what I'll call in our language, upper level courses on use cases, what are the outcomes? How do we achieve those outcomes with the technology that we're learning, right? Which is the building automation system, or in some courses, uh, integration of that building automation system to something else. And so um,
0: given that you guys are doing incredible work, but you're one company, and this this is really a, uh, obviously an industry-wide issue. Does the lack uh, of, of trained students, I guess we'll call them, mean that people should or are slowing down technology purchasing? Like, is are they are they ahead of it in their excitement and they really can't digest it or operate it?
2: I wouldn't say it's slowing things down, and I wouldn't even suggest that organizations should slow down but the leaders making these decisions, you know, making the investments, they need to go in with eyes wide open. They need to ask themselves, you know, does my team have the knowledge, the skill and experience to take this step forward, to take on this technology, or do I also need to invest in my people alongside the investment in technology? And do they, you know, have I done enough to make sure my team understands the solution enough and can trust it? um or if they don't are they going to be the team that just turns it off or disconnects it the second there's complaints and we can't get it to work right and we we support that evaluation with our free skills assessment
0: that's that's really that's the age-old reality i buy this cool new thing and it just gets set on override because I've got to block and tackle. Uh, and then that's, that's getting worse. So I'm glad to hear that. Is there, is there any, uh, have you noticed any focus on use type uh, for your, either your customers, your students, office, industrial, multifamily, data center, um, or, or, or is it not really segmented that way?
2: It's not really segmented that way. And, and quite frankly, the, the needs are coming from all different parts of the market. And so we're getting students with all different use cases, use types, facilities they're in, or facilities they have to support. And like Bill had mentioned earlier, the challenge is getting that foundational skill set in a couple of key areas in place so that the individual can then grow from there.
0: It, there. There's such an obviousness about this. This may not be a great question, but have you been able to connect any uh, uh, material risks or cost? associated with not not really having trained staff
2: oh absolutely um on the contractor side there's risks with job callbacks there's um job cost variance risks etc and that all impacts the bottom line of that organization similarly within a facility whether you're talking institutional or um, commercial same kind of issues come up with you know increased labor costs increased Contractor costs, um, you know the the facility itself not being maintained to the level it should, so it uh, deteriorates the investment there. So there are risks all over if you don't have well trained uh, folks on the facility side.
0: Okay, good. So uh, maybe uh, transitioning to hope. Uh, now, uh, you know, what is, what would the first thing you would advise one of your customers or even just the audience out there? What's I mean, this is, again, this is pretty clear what's going on in the industry. What should they do like next week?
1: So I don't want to sound self-promotional, but our free skill assessment, I highly (laughs) recommend people take that. I mean, it's free and our entire team knows our philosophy which is evidenced by all the podcasts and guides and articles we give out that are completely free, that we just wanna give people knowledge. If you choose to work with us, that's awesome. We have a great product. I'd love to have you be one of our customers. But at the end of the day, if you choose not to, you're gonna get a great set of quantitative data that is gonna tell you exactly what your team does and does not know, so you can use your training and investment dollars around talent wisely.
0: I think that's great. And I would also add to that, uh, and, and you may agree, if they just turn to their organization and have a few conversations about it, you're, you're gonna get blank stares and I don't know, somebody else does that or the vendor has the technician or those kind of things. It's not gonna they're not gonna really know much about it, which means they're obviously hidden cost in that conversation. Yeah. Um how about, uh, just as we've got a minute or two here, the, a success story that you can describe of, a, of sure. somebody that came to you and they they got an outcome?
1: I'll fit a system integrator and a owner customer in your time slot. So system integrator, large system integrator, uh, multi-state, needed new talent, wasn't finding it in the market, couldn't acquire people's uh, existing talent at the prices available, found a postal worker, put him through our workforce development program. In 11 weeks, he had no experience and he was out running service calls on his own to customers. Mm. The owner side worked with a large convention center in Texas, they were doing a major retrofit with a large uh, controls contractor. They were told that they were gonna have to increase their costs by several hundred thousand dollars uh, through using just our live office hours because the student was part of our course was able to discuss with our instructors the opportunity and was able to find a strategy to mitigate that cost increase.
0: That, that's fantastic. And I, I regret that we're out of time, but I would like to say besides thank you for what you're doing and for bringing this to the audience that one of the most exciting things I think about this conversation is that you see it as use cases and outcomes and financial consequences and those kind of things. And this is not a a tech training class. That's a check the box, put it on your resume. This is about an everyday practical impact in buildings. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: really, really important and really exciting. And thanks again for what you guys are doing.
1: Thank you for having us, Tom. You bet. Thanks
0: for having us. You bet. Enjoyed it. Uh, So now we're going to turn to the RealCom news brief and uh, with – as we say, crack reporter Howard Berger uh, coming with some stories uh, from the industry. Hey, thanks, Tom.
3: I, I mean, you're a natural. What a great job! Cable news networks—we <laughs> joking about they're going <laughs> to snap you up. Uh, and, and thanks to you, Phil and Julian, for the monumental job you do. Huge—I mean, just a huge impact on our industry, training next generation of smart building tech professionals. Great show, guys. Uh, So news, a couple of stories from our weekly briefing, it goes out every Thursday morning. So if you don't see it in your inbox, just go to realcom.com and click on news. and You can subscribe there. So our uh, Tom, you'll appreciate this. Our lead story is GSA in the news again with their energy retrofit program. Now GSA is General Services Administration, U.S. General Services Administration. It's the centralized procurement agency for the federal government, and it has a real estate portfolio of about 370 million square feet. So GSA just announced its intent to leverage funding from the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, for some projects in four states and the District of Columbia. It's the largest call to accelerate net zero ever in our country. So through energy savings performance contracts, GSA is going to use that funding to bring energy and cost savings improvement to 41 facilities, 17 in D.C., 24 across Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Uh, has an estimated project value of more than 300 million. These projects are going to convert the facilities to all electric, and provide infrastructure for additional net zero operations. And, and this will support GSA's objectives to convert buildings to all electric by 2045 using no on-site fossil fuel combustion. So, and and, and I re, and I mentioned John and uh, Tom and intelligent buildings because their fingerprints are all over uh, GSA's. Uh, incredible, uh, you know, adoption of smart building technologies over well over the last decade. Um, So uh, great, great job, GSA. Um, Next, I want to shout out to this week's tech partner uh, on their case study on a company called Dignity Moves. And this was submitted by Sherry Clevenger, VP Marketing for Lightbox. And so Dignity Moves, that's one word, is a nonprofit uh, focusing on providing homeless housing. So they found a way to build cost-effective, modular individual private units where formerly homeless can have the dignity of privacy, be able to lock their doors, have a place to store their possessions, and best of all, have a home address. Now, since Dignity has to work with governments, obviously there's a lot of bureaucratic red tape, but but they figured out some ways to get around it uh, by essentially renting the land, that is if it hasn't been donated. But most often, it's land that hasn't been slated for development. The problem is it takes a lot of time to find the, to find the land in the first place. So you, they drive around, you scope out potential sites, figure out who owns it, try to contact the owner, pitch the deal, try to get a yes, but mostly get no's. So the land vision solution from Lightbox actually helped boost dignity moves deal success ratio by helping identify good land prospects quickly locate the owner. It squeezed the entire process down from 10 steps to one. So LandVision has essentially become, you know, quote unquote, Google for land, uh, an all-in-one software application. So if you're looking for land deals, check it out. And thank you, Lightbox. Um, So since 2012, we've been profiling and showcasing some outstanding examples of technologically advanced smart buildings, campuses, and portfolios, the annual conference in our smart building best practice showcase. And this year we're featuring... Uh, or actually refeaturing because we featured it in the, in the conference, I think, uh, a year or two years ago, the Vinhomes Technopark Tower. Now, Technopark Tower, it's a smart office building in the heart of Vinhomes Ocean Park. It's the newest smart city in Vietnam, and it's one of the few buildings in Asia designed to meet or exceed LEED Platinum standards. Now, Vinhomes intended this building to represent a high watermark for energy savings buildings with a focus on indoor air quality, while still maintaining low energy use and carbon emissions. So with a goal of becoming one of the 10, top 10 smartest buildings in the world, the tower was equipped with a lot of smart features that are listed in the article. So check out this week's power uh, profile, maybe even do a little side research on Techno Park Tower. It's definitely worth a look. So finally, um, VTS just announced VTS Activate. It's their new tenant experience technology. now. VHG, VTS launched a, a new tenant experience offering called Activate. It's going to go beyond Rise and Lane, helping drive analytics from single building to portfolio view. And you might recall VTS entered the tenant experience space back in March 2021 with the acquisition of Rise Buildings. And then later in the year, they acquired Lane. Now, Activate's the new baby that offers owners and operators a fully integrated office experience platform. But it's also supplemented with VTS data. plus. It provides tenants with a better on-site experience and the capability to manage day-to-day needs and activity with a like a one-app access anywhere functionality. So beyond insights, access control, operations management, uh, this new platform is can also be a direct branded channel between landlords, service providers, and tenants. So they can deliver their messages and experience and offerings, offerings from events and perks to flex and uh, retail offerings and just more and more stuff to keep tenants engaged and coming into the office. So keep an eye out for that from VTS. So folks, um, it's a wrap for me. That's a few of this week's highlights. Um, Check it out and
0: have a great weekend. And back to you, Tom. Thank you, Howard. And I will tell you that, um, you know, with what's going on uh, in our industry and and our economy and our banking and hybrid work and ESG and all these things, I'm really, I'm listening to the news and your news with a different lens these days. So it's a, really it's it's something you just got to stay hyper attuned to
3: yeah and 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 not
0: get too dragged down by the ups and downs of the
3: you know right. the daily you know the daily news cycles because a lot of this stuff is going to end up being cyclical as we know
0: i agree and that's and that's part of what what you were telling us is things are still going on innovation still occurring efficiencies occurring monetization is occurring so uh appreciate that perspective. And and we're going to go and and hear from um, a final sponsor who is a steadfast supporter of RealCom. so I know you'll enjoy it. And then on the other side I'll have some final thoughts and some interesting information for next week. Okay thanks for that Uh, and uh, just a couple thoughts here. One, I really appreciate Phil and Julian bringing this very under discussed uh, topic to us today and I would encourage and hope that you investors, landlords and owners will challenge and support your um, your property managers, your staff and your contractors. Uh, And you need to be challenging and supporting them on this topic uh, because it's a real it's a real undercurrent here. Um, And also, I want to encourage you to tune in next Friday where Jim will be back. And he and his guests will be talking about uh, the RealCom, among other things, the RealCom Innovation Tours that are available uh, at RealCom Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, that is Monday, June 12th. And just a few of those highlights, and, and not just the venues, but they're gonna really dive into the technology. Uh, Area 15, you'll see Immersive Entertainment and Events District. Uh, boxable Homes, you'll see Automated Home Building. Halo Car, you'll see driverless delivery and remote piloting. Uh, View Studios, and you'll see an an LED studio focusing on immersive experiences. Sounds very Las Vegas. And uh, Resorts uh, World Las Vegas, uh, you're gonna see a new bar for hospitality innovation. And with that, I really wanna thank uh, RealCom and Jim for allowing me to stand in today and hope to see you all next week, also in uh, Las Vegas at the conference. Thanks all, have a great weekend.